So as in, uh, in preparation for today, my initial plan was to kind of just summarize chapters 8 and 9 and 10 and go to chapter 11 where, uh, chapter 12, where it starts talking about Abraham. Uh, but just kind of reading through these chapters, uh, hopefully you guys have taken some time to read it on your own and kind of dig a little deeper into it. Uh, there's, there's so much truth and so much display of God's mercy and faithfulness in these chapters. I think it would be good for us just to take some time to go through chapter 8 and chapter 9 about uh, to see God's faithfulness in action. Uh, there's one particular passage in Genesis chapter 7 at the end in verse 23 where this this uh, is declared by God. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, men and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Chapter 8 and 9 talk about the aftermath of this uh, global flood that destroyed every living thing that had breath. And only Noah and his family and the animals that God had told them to put in the ark survived. Now this is a global catastrophic destruction of life. Everything that had breath was blotted out from the earth. If we look at a passage like Psalm 150 verse 6, we're going to see the psalmist declare something so great it says let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord now at a quick glance and at first those two statements can seem a little contradictory right in one hand god destroyed everything that had breath and in the other we are being told that everything that has breath praise the lord how can god make those two statements? Well, the answer has been given to us in Genesis, right? As we've read the previous chapters, God is the creator of all. There would be no breath without him. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This breath is given by God. He has the right to take it as much as he does to give it. And in these chapters, these first seven chapters that we studied, including chapters eight and nine today, we're gonna see two main patterns of behavior. I'm sure you can pick out many other little ones, but there's two main patterns of behavior that's important for us to notice through chapter seven. The first pattern of behavior is the disobedience of men. We see men continuously disobey God. Adam ate the fruit. Cain did not offer the sacrifice that God had commanded of them. And he went even further. Now he killed his brother out of jealousy. And humanity as a whole just continued to sin and sin and sin. In contrast, however, we see God's mercy, God's faithfulness being displayed. 
Although men sin, God promises a Savior that will come from the seed of Adam to conquer sin and death. God punished Cain for not repenting of his sin. God gave him an opportunity, confronted him, and Cain rather resisted and did not repent. God punished the rest of humanity for sinning continually. In the New Testament, we know that Noah preached and called people to repentance when they built the ark for over a hundred years, and yet nobody repented. So God punished sin. And at the same time, he preserved Noah, his family, and every kind of animal in the ark. So we see that humanity in general will disobey, will dishonor, will walk away from God. But God maintains his faithfulness. God is faithful to his promises. He continues to display his mercy. He did not have to save Noah or his family. But because Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, he was spared as well as his family. He continues to keep all his promises, even as man does not obey perfectly. And many times willfully disobeys God and sins against him. So today, at chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see how God displays his faithfulness by breaking chapter 8 and 9 down into three points. And we're going to start by seeing that God remembers the righteous as our first point. We're going to read Genesis 8 verse 1. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. We, to first, we got to understand what is this word remember? Right, we know and we study that God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's known everything from the beginning and before the beginning. So this word may seem weird for us, right, to find here as you're reading and, and you're really just kind of paying attention. God remembered. I thought he knew everything. How did he forget, right? How did he forget Noah? How did he forget his family? How did he forget the animals? But the use of the word here, of this word remember, in the original, it's talking about keeping in mind to provide attention and consideration to someone or something. It's telling us that, God, not that God forgot about Noah, but it means that God paid attention to Noah's condition and provided for him. Now, as we continue today's study, just for sake of shortness, right? We're talking about Noah, we're talking about his family, we're talking about the animals, talking about the ark. So a lot of times I'm just going to mention the word Noah, right? The name Noah, and that kind of includes the whole scenario, okay? I don't want to bore you by keep saying Noah, his family, the animals, the ark. Noah, his, okay? So I'm going to try to cut, cut out that repetition. And when I need to clarify uh, which one I'm talking about, then I'll add that in there, Okay. So when you hear Noah, I'm talking about the whole circumstance. Noah, the animals, the family, and the ark, okay? So Noah spent approximately uh, 
five months in the ark locked in with his family. Okay, this wasn't a overnight <laughs> rain, an overnight storm. Five months locked in, a, in an ark that was designed to do what? To float. That's all it was. It couldn't be navigated. With hundreds, possibly thousands of animals, while the whole earth flooded and all that had breath died. During all this time, all the travelers in the ark had everything they needed to survive, though. We don't have an account in Scripture saying that, you know, this monkey kind died because they starved or the lion ate the lamb and so now we're short some lambs. No, God planned it and provided everything they needed for them to survive in the ark the whole time. Noah just needed to have faith that God would continue to keep, keep his promises. Now, as we've read, do you think that Noah has enough kind of evidence and proof to kind of trust God that God's going to keep his promises? You think that enough has been done so far? Yeah. Yeah. God said, hey, Noah, you're going to build an ark. And Noah ended up building an ark, right? God provided for that. God said, hey, I'm going to put all these animals in the ark. And guess what? All the animals showed up and they're in the ark. He said, no, I'm going to flood the world. And well, Noah's in the ark, surrounded by a flooded world. So Noah had no doubt that God fulfilled his promises. And God continues to keep his promises even to today. Noah did not, was not called righteous or Noah was not saved because he worked so hard and he did so many amazing things. But it's because he had faith in what God had commanded him. He had faith in the faithfulness that God had demonstrated so far. So what is faith? Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 explains that for us, breaks it down for us. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For it by people of old received their commendation. So kind of just put yourself in Noah's place. How does faith apply to Noah? Well, God said, hey, I'm going to keep you safe through a worldwide flood where everything's going to die except you, your family, and these animals. And you're going to survive it. You're going to come out of the ark. That's something huge to have assurance of, don't you think? But Noah was convicted of these things that were not seen. And verse 2 adds, by, For it by the people of old received their commendation. So Noah is one of these people of old. And later in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 7, we have Noah specifically named and given credit for his faith. Now, I don't want you to think that Noah was a perfect man. He wasn't. He sinned. If you read the end of chapter 9, we see how he sinned. He became drunk after he got out of the ark. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you come to verse 7, and it talks about Noah. It says, by faith, Noah. And what is faith again? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, nobody had ever seen a flood, nobody had ever seen these rains, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah, having faith that God is faithful, knowing this, obeyed, did as he commanded. You're going to continue seeing this. God speaks and God commands, and there's a response that man has. In this case, Noah had a response of obedience and did as he was told. Now, for you, in your current spiritual condition, today, Sunday morning at 11.42, in your current spiritual condition, do you think God considers you as righteous? Are you obeying? Are you trusting in God? Or are you ignoring the warnings of God that He will punish sin still today? If your answer is yes, God does consider me righteous because I have His Son, I have repented of my sin, I have placed my faith in Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. Are you obeying? Are you following His commands? What is your response to what God is saying? Is your answer no? I am not considered righteous right now because I disobey God continuously. I don't repent. I don't even believe God. I think what you're saying are fairy tales right now. There's one thing that you can know for sure is that God is faithful and He promised to punish sin. Will you pay for your sin or will you accept Christ's payment in place of yours? 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ was a perfect man. He obeyed everything that God commanded perfectly. The true righteous. He suffered for the unrighteous, you and me. He was put to death because of you and me. And he offers that free gift. Take his punishment in place for your sins. Isn't it wonderful that today we don't have to go out and build an ark to escape God's wrath? Can any of us here this morning really say if God commanded us to build an ark in 2023 that we would be like sure God yeah I'll do it I can't say I would I don't I don't know <laughs> but God showing his faithfulness says you don't have to build the ark there's a much better solution that's been provided by God just as God provided for Noah, the materials, the labor, the skill for him to build that ark, for him, his family, and the animals to be safe in the flood, in the judgment, and the wrath of God, he has given us Jesus as a much better Savior than the ark. But we still must live in Christ. Notice that Noah and his family were safe as long as they stayed in the ark. <laughs> 
If one of them is like, I'm tired of this, I'm going to go just jump into the water, they would have perished. If you would open the doors to the ark too early, it would have been flooded. But for us, when we are in Christ, we are secured in Him forever. It's important for us to understand the flood didn't last forever. I said the calculations of the days puts it at five months. But as we continue to read, we can already begin to see, continue to see God's faithfulness in this. Notice at the end of verse one, it says, God made a wind blow to make the water subside, to make the waters come down. In verse two, we see that God closed the fountains of the deep. It also closed the windows of heaven. So the water stopped pouring into the earth. In verse 4, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. In verse 5, the top of the mountains began to appear. And one thing you'll notice is that God made all this happen. Right? Nature didn't say, well, it's enough water, I'm going to close myself up. God made everything happen. Why? Because God had promised Noah and his family that they were going to get out of the ark. That they were going to be spared. God was faithful. This word just basically means that God is trustworthy. He does exactly what he said he is going to do. So it took Noah a great amount of faith and, and reverent fear to obey God, to build the ark, to get in it. God shut them in. But I think a lot of times we, we don't think about the faith it takes to stay in the ark, right? To just hear and and. Maybe they couldn't see the windows and the ark were closed, but they just hear and they, the ark is being tossed to and fro. Just rain and rain and rain. How much faith do you think it takes to endure something that horrendous? We see that God is faithful in keeping our faith as well we don't have an account that Noah was like man I should have just stayed in the water and drowned this is all a waste of time I think we're all going to drown I think we're going to die we don't see that we see that Noah was had faith in that what God had promised that they were going to make it that they were going to survive came true and even after everything's had Calmed down and the rain stopped. And the water stopped pouring in. Noah continued to obey. And so Noah starts seeing. How is it out there? We, we get to verse 7. In chapter 8. It says, And sent forth the raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. So why a raven? Right, that's kind of like a random bird to pick. Well, ravens are scavengers. Uh, ravens have a great 
uh, distance of flight and they don't have to rest as much as other birds. So if anything was available for them to eat, they would have eaten it. They could have survived a little bit longer. Eventually the raven didn't come back because it found somewhere to rest. Then in verses 8 through 9, we see that Noah decides to send out a dove. So why a dove this time? Why not another raven? Well, doves, they're more delicate. They don't have as great as a, a great distance and they can't be in the air. And they're a lot pickier on what they eat. So they needed to know whether it was safe and there was food out there for them. In verses 8 and 9, the doves go out there. But it comes back with nothing because there's nowhere for the dove to rest. There's no plant. There's nothing for it. Seven days later, he sends out the dove. And this time the dove comes back with a fresh olive leaf, as we read in verses 10 and 11. And the dove came back, verse 11, to him the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And again, if we just read this quickly, and I'm just trying to get through the chapter, we, we missed something very important. Notice the description of the olive leaf. It says, a freshly plucked olive leaf. What do you think that means? Anybody? If you freshly pluck a leaf, is the leaf dead? Is the tree dead? Is the branch dead? Anybody? Nobody's ever plucked leaves in their life? It means it's alive. It means it's alive. It wasn't floating in the water. And so we can see that after all this destruction, God continues to demonstrate His faithfulness by making the ground give its fruit. Fairly quickly, too. And it gave an indication to Noah that there's dry ground. And now Noah continues to wait. So verses 13 through 17, God commands Noah to come out of the ark with all the animals and commands him to be fruitful and multiply. Verse 15, let's read it. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Man, how, how good is God, right? Faithful. He is trustworthy making the animals multiply. And now we see the response of Noah. God commands this. Noah, he went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast and every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So as we can see, God was faithful to the promises he made Noah. Noah, build an ark because I'm going to destroy and flood the world. Noah, I will keep you safe. I will provide for you, you and your family and the animals. 
And he was. I mean, just the fact that the ark rested on a mountain in a position to where it wasn't going to tip over, where they could open the door and walk out and be safe on dry land. Are you able to see everything that God has been doing? After such destruction, so quickly providing for them, so quickly giving vegetation and fruit, putting them in the correct spot that they needed to be. And just as God was faithful to Noah, trustworthy to Noah, he will be faithful to the promises that he's made to us. But also know that our response is important here. Noah obeyed and he waited for God. What should our response be to God's faithfulness? Well, for our second point, we're going to see that the righteous worship God. We're going to continue in verses 18 where Noah exits the ark with his family. And in verse 20, we're going to see exactly Noah's response to this. So his first action in verse 20, he gets out of the ark with his family, with his animals. He sees true witness to the faithfulness of God. And then Noah, in verse 20, built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. He offers a sacrifice. Why does he offer a sacrifice? God told him to prepare animals for a sacrifice. There's a great misconception that many people have that there was only a pair of animals that went into the ark. But as we studied earlier, we know that God commanded him to take animals in sevens both male and female, clean animals for sacrifice. Prepared ahead of time the sacrifice that God would demand. Does this sound familiar? Christ, God has prepared the sacrifice that was required for you and I for our sins beforehand. And that is Christ. Promised in Genesis 3.15 and came to fruition when he was born as a baby. God is faithful to keep his promises. He preserved Noah so that from his seed the Savior may come. God demands a sacrifice for sin. God demands a sacrifice as a thankfulness to his faithfulness. But he prepares it beforehand, and we ought to walk in that obedience. Again, we don't have to go out and get sevens of animals and pairs and clean animals to sacrifice to the Lord. The sacrifice for sin and thankfulness, the, the sacrifice for sin has already been made through Christ. 
that died on the cross, that one that God prepared before him, before the creation. But there's a response that we must have after that sacrifice, after showing that faithfulness to the Lord. We can be an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5.2, what is this sacrifice that we must give to the Lord of thankfulness? Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. And as Chance was preaching this morning, it is a love that's Biblical is a love that honors God and the one that God deems that is right. Not a love that the culture defines, not a love that you and I get to define. Noah did not decide which animals were going to be sacrificed. Noah did, wasn't even thinking about the sacrifice. God told him which animals he was going to sacrifice. And Noah obeyed. Same standards is set for us. God commands and teaches what true love is, and we ought to walk in that love. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We must be in Christ. We must obey Christ's commands. When we are walking in obedience, when we are walking in the love, just as Christ loved us, then we are a pleasing aroma to God. Because we are walking and obeying in what God had commanded, just as Noah demonstrated to us here. And so as we've seen God's faithfulness, we've seen that those that love God worship Him we also must remember, as I've mentioned again and again, that God keeps his promises. That was our third point for today. And chapter 9 covers this, verses 1 through 17. God has kept his promises to Noah, to humanity, to nature by destroying every living thing that had breath, punishing sin because sin was just multiplying, multiplying and multiplying. But he also kept his promises by keeping Noah, the family, the animals and the ark safe, providing for them, providing for the sacrifice that was gonna be called for, the trust that Noah must have had Sure, he thought, man, there's very limited animals right now. And we are to sacrifice these animals. But he trusted that, the God, that God would provide. 
and would be faithful. And in chapter 9, God makes another promise. Verse 1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So not only now were the animals going to be allowed to multiply throughout the world, but now also humanity. He allowed humanity to continue to flourish and grow and multiply, keeping his promise. As he made in the beginning to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He makes the same promise again to Noah and his sons, that through them the earth would be filled. But now there is consequences, right? There's consequences to this sin. Now, not like before where the animals were not touched by the humans, were not eaten by the humans, not hunted. Now in verse 2, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. Now remember, initially in the garden, they were given all fruit, right? All the trees. The animals were there. They just tended to them, took care of them. But because of the sin that had been progressed, humanity now had a control over the animals. The animals would fear humans. And now the animals were given to humans as food. Verse 4, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So even in then, God wants to remember and remind us that, yes, life, even in the animals, are to be cared for. Remember, we're supposed to have dominion. We have to be good stewards of what God gives us. We're not to mistreat or kill animals for, for fun and let them rot. Here it says not to eat them with its blood because they are still a creation of God. They are meant for food, for survival. And again, God in verse 5 reminds us just how precious human blood is. Human life is so precious to God. Your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require and from every man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for his life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So we see that God again continues to give a higher importance to human life. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. They should be put to death if someone is a murderer. Do not take human life. It is not yours to take for he was made in God's own image. 
Again, he reminds him and he tells it again, be fruitful, multiply, increase. And here we see the covenant, verse 9. Behold, pay attention, listen to me. God is telling Noah, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast. It is for every beast of the earth. Verse 11. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God made this covenant, this promise between not just him and Noah, but for all creation, all humans, all animals. Now, this does not mean that there won't be floods, right? We see this throughout the whole world, and people try to use that as a, well, see, look, God lied, there's still floods. That's not what the covenant is, right? That's why it's important for us to know what the promise is, what the covenant is. Never again will I destroy life with a flood in the whole earth. Nature still happens. Human error still happens, creating dams that break, that causes flooding, or just large amounts of water creates flooding, but it never again will it be a global flood. And so there's a sign that God put for us to remember what that he made this promise. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The rainbow, that's what it's talking about here, is a promise, the covenant that God made with Noah, but all of earth, that every time we see it, we may remember God is faithful and he keeps his promises. He is trustworthy because when I see that rainbow, it reminds me God promised never to destroy the world with water again. We continue seeing how God keeps his promises. He's so faithful. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow sitting in the clouds, I remember my covenant that is between me and every living creature of all flesh. Notice in verse 14, it says, I bring the clouds. Again, we're so dependent on the faithfulness of God to continue to give us rain, to continue to give us sunshine, the food, the plants. Nothing is out of his hands. Nothing is out of his control. And we're utterly dependent on God. Do you have faith in him? Is your trust in the Lord? Or is your trust in other things? Maybe yourself, maybe other friends, family, maybe you trust a culture. We continually are reminded through Scripture that God keeps His promises. He was faithful to the promise He made to Noah, to the animals in that ark. He has given us a covenant, a promise, a rainbow to demonstrate his promise to the world. As always, the devil tries to corrupt all that is that 
is God-given. Many people that condemn people for eating animals or hunting and killing them for food say you shouldn't. We Very clear, we can. The rainbow is being used to promote a satanic sexual movement. Trying to distort this great promise that God has. The rainbow is not a sign of pride. The rainbow is not a sign of sexual immorality, of homosexuality. The rainbow is the indication that God has made a promise with humanity to never destroy it with water again. It is important for us to know this. That we may remember and take the promises of God and trust them. God has also promised and continues to promise that sin will be paid for. All that rebel against God will have a place in the lake of fire for eternity. That is a promise that he's made. But he's also made the promise that all those that turn to his son will be saved. A sacrifice that was needed for sin that God himself provided for. It's a free gift that is available today. First John, if we are faithful, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins, all our trespasses. That promise of being faithful has been revealed to us throughout the generations, throughout your life, throughout the years that you've been here on this earth. I know you have seen God's faithfulness in your life. And the promise of the Savior, the promise that He will forgive your sins, is no different. Had a conversation with a friend this week. The Lord allowed me to share the gospel with him. He had a very simple question. How do I ask for forgiveness? This man, not a believer, said he grew up in church. 
turned away from God. And now only has a few months to live. And his question was, how do I ask God for forgiveness? Is it too late for me? I told him no. For some reason, God's kept you alive. For us to have this conversation today. And to be reminded and told him, as for forgiveness in bulk, you don't have to remember every single sin you've committed. If there are some specific ones you want to ask forgiveness for, go for it. You just have a conversation with the Lord. He's already made the way. He's already provided the sacrifice that is needed for you to be forgiven of your sins. You just have to place your faith in Christ. Trust Him. Obey Him. I pray that the Lord does a work in His heart and that He realizes that it's not too late yet. That today is a day of salvation. Same thing for you, students. Today is a day of salvation. Maybe that's your question. How do I ask for forgiveness? Maybe you're asking the same question. Is it too late for me? And I'm telling you, it's not. It's not. You're here this morning. God gave you another breath in your lung. Because He wants you to repent. He wants you to turn to Him. The sacrifice, the payment that He demands for sin, He's already provided it. He's already given it. He prepared it before the creation. All you need to do is have faith in His Son, Jesus. Put your trust in Him this morning. As Noah kept his faith and trusted the Lord and obeyed, I ask that you too will do the same. God is warning you this morning that without Christ, there is no life. There is no eternity. There will be a time of destruction that will come. And after that, there will be no ark to save you. When you take your last breath, it will be too late if you have not turned to the Lord. Do you have faith? Does God look down upon you and see you as righteous? Does He see His Son or does he see your sin? Ask forgiveness in bulk. Turn to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, because your faithfulness is displayed through Scripture,
Your faithfulness has been displayed in our lives, Lord. Even in the times where we were rebellious, where we were enemies of you, you were faithful to send someone to teach us the gospel, share with us the good news that Christ has paid for my sins. Lord, increase our faith so that we may trust you more every day. Lord, that we may love you and walk in your path, Lord, of righteousness. That we never take for granted the blessings that you've given us. I want to thank you for keeping us. I want to thank you for providing for us. Lord, even the clouds that bring the rain and the trees that provide its fruit, none of that happens without you. Lord, that these students will see just how great and wonderful you are, how trustworthy you are, Lord, that they may have faith, Lord, that they will repent, that they will turn to Christ for righteousness. Thank you, Lord, because you give us the opportunity, Lord, to come to you at any time, at any moment, confess our sins, but not just that, but find comfort and salvation in your Son. We thank you, Lord, so much for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.